Welcome to Movie Podcast Evangelium from Dr. Movies. And I'm Rachel. Today we're going to be talking about Oppenheimer. It's part two of the Barbenheimer. Yeah, it's late. Whatever. We don't give a shit. And that's something I want to address right off the fucking top. Is not giving a shit. Is that this podcast, we're not, we don't exist to do a bunch of research for you. We don't exist to give you any special insight into the production. And we're going to get things wrong. We're going to get things to you late we don't because we're not getting paid for any of this this is just vibes and hang this is vibes and hang build a parasocial relationship with us and and you know maybe you don't have people in your life you can talk to about oppenheimer you can listen to us you talk can about listen it. to us talk about it and more importantly i would like to address one thing because we are not going to put more effort than this into the podcast <laughs> that means that you might have uh, this phenomenon where you're listening to a podcast and you're like, they're not saying the thing that I think they, they're they're missing some context or that their opinion is wrong or whatever you fucking think. You just want to chime in so bad. Guess what? You can. You can. Email us. Yeah. Uh, the email is moviepodeva at gmail.com. Thank you. You had it off the top of your head and we'll put it in the show notes and or send us a voice memo. Um, literally, you know how to get a hold of us. Send us your thoughts and we will read them on the air yeah or we'll if you play send them a on voice the air yeah you'll get yeah. your voice we'll on get the your air. voice on there yeah but guess what if you do that you're entering the realm of the blade yeah and we Shing! reserve the right to carve your opinion up and mm-hmm. and make you look a fool we even reserve the right to to do audio production to make you sound foolish yeah we're gonna stupid. edit your audio and make you say things you didn't want to say we come from talk radio <laughs> motherfucker so you know Proceed with caution, but also proceed for fun. Proceed for fun. But yeah, yeah. apparently, uh, I, I remember I said that I think Noah Centineo was in All the Boys I Loved Before, mm-hmm. kid, like whatever. And then someone's like, actually, that's not true. I was Great. Like, okay, tell me about it. We but provide I don't corrections. Really care. Yeah. <laughs> but sure. Give a shit. This is Hang's podcast. So let's hang out with let's Oppenheimer. Let's hang, yeah. Boom. Which is not like a very big like Hang movie because it's got, uh, it's it's three hours long. Well, it wouldn't have been, but we saw people hanging. We saw some people dressed up uh, yeah, uh, three, in full Oppenheimer garb. Yeah, Oppenheimer cosplayers. They had the, the hat and the and, the black suits. And, I thought they the were slacks. Hasidic Jews. And then I was like, oh no, they're just <laughs> oh, they're teens. They, they were missing his cool ass belt buckle. Oh yeah. That thing with the turquoise on it. It's like, yeah, this is a real Southwest fan. Yeah. But they had slender waists. Yes, yeah. You know, they were... They, were, they had um, cunty waists. Yeah, they were nubile teen men. Young men. Um, there for the sloppy oppie. There for the sloppy oppie. And we saw it in 70 millimeter IMAX. Yeah, at, my uh, first time in like a real IMAX experience. I had done it before, but not for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was cool. Yeah. I would like to say, uh, I don't know that the movie really like needs to be seen that way. I don't think me, like us watching it that way in IMAX, like added that much for me. I, I think but like, I'm there, glad we there did are it. like certain 
there are definitely certain sequences where yes. it benefits from just the overwhelming spectacle. Yes, of mostly that. the sound. Most, mostly the sound. But as we'll get into it, a lot of this movie is just people talking. It's mostly just people talking. And I don't know. I, I liked seeing it in, in this format, of course, but it's not strictly necessary. Right. Mostly people talking. However, very few prolonged scenes of people talking. Yeah. Which is something I'd like to get to. Uh, but maybe we should just jump right into the plot and talk about things as they pop up. Yeah, let's do it. We have Killian Murphy, and he's twinked out. He's like, he, apparently he's 22 years <laughs> old, out. and he's at Cambridge. and He's in his bed. Yeah, and, and he's like thinking about the universe. And they, they're they doing a good job like with his hair or whatever of like making Killian Murphy look pretty young. It doesn't just look like he's 40 or like whatever year old Killian Murphy in a wig. Yeah. They've they've done like makeup stuff on mm-hmm. him. And there's but I don't no think any CGI. No, I, yeah. I, at least I haven't read anything about like uh, digital de-aging. Yeah. So he no. doesn't look quite 22 years old, but you're like, but that's you're like fine. whatever. He's supposed to he be He also younger. doesn't look like 60 or whatever at the end of the movie. Right. So that's fine. And here he is. He's at Cambridge and uh, he's like doing like beaker experiments on his desk yeah, or whatever. He's and doing science. he like lets something slip and the professor's like, Open You have to clean that up. Clean it up, you bozo. And he's like, But Niels Bohr is speaking. Kenneth Branagh is speaking. Kenneth Branagh is speaking the, the thing or whatever. And, and he's like, Oh shit, we gotta go. Yeah, everyone's like, Oh, you're right, Niels Bohr. And they're like, He's a celeb. And they were like, Not you, Oppenheimer. You must you have clean. To stay in clean, Cinderella. And he's like, <laughs> And so he's. He's like, I'm gonna fucking poison you. Yeah, yeah, so he's, he literally takes cyanide out of the. Uh, like science cupboard, cabinet. The, the science cabinet, and <laughs> injects his teacher's apple with cyanide, which is like we've all been there, folks. Uh, yeah, uh, crazy. And apparently, one of Oppenheimer's family member, like descendants, was like, "He never did that." But then other people are saying he did do it. Yeah. So I don't know what uh, to believe. Frankly, whatever. I like that it's in here. Yeah, it's it's a good cinematic thing. It also it, it gives color to the Oppenheimer character in 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 terms of like. All right, he he is kind of selfish and self-centered in that way and is like vindictive. Yeah. Um and is like He's calculating. and is so focused on his his knowledge and learning and that sort of stuff that he like doesn't really care about the ethics of having done that. The only he only cares about the apple is when it looks like Niels Bohr is going to eat it. Well, he wakes up in a cold sweat and he's like, "I shouldn't have done that." And well, we runs. don't we don't really know if it's like I shouldn't have done that because it's wrong, or I shouldn't have done that because I'm going to get in trouble for it. That's true. I guess that's a good point. He, in any case, he runs to the classroom, and who should he see there but his professor and Kenneth Branagh, yeah, uh, Niels Bohr, and he's just like, I love Kenneth Branagh. Just uh, pause well, yeah, and let's say pause he, and he's say awesome. we're both big Branagh heads. Yeah, and, um, and so is Christopher Nolan. Yeah, <laughs> he loves yeah. him too. He's no, great. he he's awesome. He's doing like a accent here he's it's like german, german something like yeah. that dutch maybe he's doing good i think he does good accent work some people disagree no nah, no nah. kenneth brown defense squad and he's like um oh, like, oh Oppenheimer, you, right? you solved this thing you no know, this is exactly what he says he says uh he's like yeah you solved this thing but he's just like i saw you speak in uh you know whatever and he's like yes and you asked the only intelligent question <laughs> right in front of his professor uh, and, and his professor like, oh. like oh i just insulted oppenheimer earlier but then niels bohr takes the apple off the desk and he's like about to bite it and uh yeah, Killian slaps it out of his hand. Like, there's a worm. Like, there's a worm in there. And he's just like, okay. All right, um, he's like, well, you should go to a different university and study if you want to go get talk into- to Heisenberg. Yeah. Talk to Heisenberg. If you want to talk about quantum mechanics. 
or so like, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, I think it's quantum mechanics because we're we're given to understand that he like does really well studying there and becomes like the foremost expert in the field of quantum mechanics, which is an emerging field of physics mm-hmm. that not so many people like have a good grasp on. And he's given like a professorship at a different. And he's like more on like the theoretical side. Yeah, he's he's he. There's a lot of lines where it's just like theory can only take you so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, experiments. Uh, I don't know why I'm giving him a British accent. It doesn't <laughs> have a British not accent. He he's like. American. But then he's a kind of a counterpart in uh, like this university that he goes to teach at in Josh Hartnett, who is like the more whoa whoa he's whoa a wait lab that's guy. Josh Hartnett. Yeah. Am, oh, wow. am I wrong? No, totally no, no, I'm not. Totally missed it. Yeah. And okay. also, uh, for our for our, for our listeners, Josh Hartnett is so hot in this. It's nuts to Wait, me. Wait, that's Josh Hartnett? Yeah, he's back in the game doing this. Well, okay, but he's like blonde in this. I'm going to give you a, a fun fact. Hair dye exists. Wow. I wondered who that was. I was like, this guy's kind of a good actor. Apparently, it was Josh Hartnett. That whole time. See, guys, we don't do research for this show. <laughs> like firing from the hip we're just learning on the fly i didn't realize gary oldman played yeah, uh truman. truman until i saw him like a lot of people pop up in this movie we have uh this is a, a large cast of we got crumholtz yeah uh yeah. who does a great job in this casey affleck's in this casey affleck. everyone's well used in this yeah. movie we'll just say that right off yeah the- everyone's well used in this movie there was kind of no one that i felt was miscast I, I i think that kind of maybe like the worst work and it's maybe not even his fault but like what's his name ansel engelborg ansel elgort no 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 no. (laughs) engelborg who the fuck are we talking about we're talking about the han solo guy oh he's in this yeah he plays rj's assistant i'm gonna be i'm so woke you guys like i just i can't keep the young white actors straight (laughs) The young white male actors. There's a lot of young white male actors in this, and it's just like well, I'm so woke well, okay, that like they all name? look the same to can, me. Can you read it to me? Because his name, he has like an insane name. Uh, it's Engelbert Humberdick. No, it's <laughs> um. Hold on. God, this cast is huge. Alden Ehrenreich. <laughs> Alden Ehrenreich. Ansel Engelbert. Oh yeah, <laughs> he has. It's not that he's bad. It's that he. We'll get to it. But he. It's the stupidest role in the film. This is the most soy role in the film. It it make sorry it makes no sense. It's the biggest problem I have with the movie. But it's the third act, and this movie is like pretty well structured in terms of like one, two, three acts. Yes, yeah. Uh, so we're still in the first act. We'll get to the third act. <laughs> yeah. But um, anyways. Anyway, uh, he's he's got this professorship. He's teaching uh, quantum physics. He's got like one um student at first, but then yeah. more and more people are coming on. Yes. Um. Because they're 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 so excited by this this new field because yeah, he's, new he's field. establishing yeah. this new realm of study. And so geopolitically at this time things are happening like there he has some communist friends you know mm-hmm. because he's in the uh, you know academic circles and yeah. they tend to be a little and more and he's left. kind of like yeah peripheral to like the communist party and unions yeah. and stuff like that although he himself isn't really actively engaged no so his he's brother like, is a party member yes. Uh, both of his paramours end up are, are also mm-hmm. party members, uh, at least at some point. And he he the furthest he'll go with all of it is like, yeah, we should like science should not be afraid to like do stuff in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like the faculty and like GTAs essentially should like you know like not be getting screwed. Like we should be able to start a labor union for like academics. Yeah. And his, his kind of philosophy seems to be, uh, this, 
where he's like, I, well, I don't want to like limit myself because of like, because uh, like, because we're not getting along with X Y Z country. Like, I yeah. want to be able to think about uh, all these different modes um, of you know of of government, of mm-hmm. how we structure our society, etc. And he's like, so, I want to be able to listen to the yeah, communist ideas and like, then other ideas too. Yeah, he's you know? kind of open to all, which like ends up. It's also you know kind of part of his what ends up being his thing, where he is almost too neutral. Yes. in his approach, that ends up being a problem it's, for him in multiple. It ways. is a essentially the crux of the film mm-hmm. is that Oppenheimer cannot take a stand on anything. And also fails to be able to like meaningfully articulate why yes. he believes certain things um, mm-hmm. or like apply it to, to, to situations as a whole, I Which guess. Which is interesting because he is such a theoretical person, yeah. but I guess... But he's, he, he is so myopic in terms yeah. of his focus on just scientific exploration mm-hmm. where it's hard for him to and zoom out. And his success personally yes. within yes. that. Yeah, yeah. So we do see like he is motivated by success, by accolades. He He's a competitive guy mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, working with other scientists. Yes. He wants to be a star. Doing. He's yes. interested in the idea of being like, to, to a certain extent, a celebrity scientist. Yeah. Um. So... That's what's happening. And Josh Hartnett, his sort of like uh, boss at the university, is like, stop with this fucking political action stuff. Like, like you're, I am working on something and I cannot tell you because of this union shit. Yeah, yeah. And this, you're, you're too close with, uh, you know, communist with elements. And he's just like, oh, grow up. But he starts to get an inkling that because, you know, the, there's a war on, mm-hmm. uh, that what Josh Hartnett is involved with is the development of an atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. Because he understands from science that there's, like, the implication that such a bomb could be could, created. Yeah, could exist. And so because he can surmise that, he wants to be on the team. Yeah. Because he's Oppenheimer. And basically and, inserts himself by being like, well, I'm the expert on atomic theory. Yeah, he, he understands that he actually has knowledge mm-hmm. that can... Yeah contribute to like he is the one that could make it happen and so and so therefore Matt he wants Damon to. ends up seeing Matt who is like a general or something he's brought in yeah. he's the guy he was like an army corps of engineers guy so yeah. he like runs projects like this and he's if you were to watch the trailer I would have assumed he was the most annoying role in the movie I actually think he's the best character in the yeah. film yeah. because his motivation is so clear and his but like characterization like very, is so clear he's sensitive and dimensional and yes. like you see him demonstrate the way that he cares about things in, in really interesting ways because mm-hmm. he while he has like that uh maybe like a, a facade of that like military briskness yeah. and there is a certain is to a certain extent that he's like well i care about like my, my mission more than anything else mm-hmm. but he also develops really person like a really personal bond with oppenheimer um yeah. and you see like his genuine distress in some situations where oppenheimer has put himself in a in a, in a tight spot and he's like well i and you see like that that kind of personal dimension to it which comes out more in like the the gray room uh like interrogation board yeah. hearing sort of thing like he it, it's really cool because it's like you can tell that this person the person that Matt Damon's playing understands that there's like this gray area mm-hmm. that exists but his job is to ignore it yes yeah and he's like it's enough for me to know that this is there but this is what has to be done. This is what my job is. I, I am tasked with developing a bomb to end the war. That's what I'm going to do. I understand that there are people who feel a certain way about it, morally, and they can feel how they feel. Mm-hmm. 
But this is my job. But this is my job. Yeah. And I think that this is going to And he end, also has like the... I believe the, that this will save lives. Yeah, he's he's the talking points that he is like, well, mm-hmm. we have to do this because it's going to save lives because of the Nazis, because of X, Y, or Z, and like has that stuff. Like, like he, he has justified it to himself and he's mm-hmm. like, I understand... Uh, certain reservations but this is how it is this is how it is and this is how it has to be and also so i want to i want to pause as we kind of move through the plot of this because mm-hmm. we can talk about it in terms of a um like chronologically what happens in the story is not how the movie is presented Correct. it jumps back and forth from from uh, I, maybe like three kind of timelines yes. which is one where it's you know oppenheimer progressing in his life and like making his way through the development of the bomb etc there's a separate uh it like that gets inter interspliced here which is this uh like kangaroo court um mm-hmm. with him and like some of like the military or political leaders and then there is like the conference hearing for Louis Strauss, who was yes. played by RDJ uh, to be part of the, of the his cabinet. His first role away from Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> for, like, he's so happy about it. Yes. And, and the, the kangaroo court is to revoke um, Oppenheimer's security, security clearance yeah. and essentially just like to remove him from the business of making public policy. Ha- where he has any sort of like political standing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which, he, which he had accumulated from being... Uh, the father of the atomic bomb. But I want to say that when we first came out of this, I think we had a similar feeling of like the, the stakes on that weren't made clear and it, it, within the movie itself, where yes. it's like kind of like, but what it, it wasn't clear immediately what the consequence was of him losing the security clearance aside from his own self image, which, which would have been fine, but that thread got a little lost yes. in the third yeah. act because there was so much, sort of like plot mechanics that had to come into it. Um, but we'll get there. Yeah. I, I think we, we can sort of like, okay. So we're talking about the first part. This gets into what was initially my problem with the first act of the movie. Yeah. Which is that the first act of the movie, even though we're jumping back and forth in time, is essentially we are building the bomb. And this is like almost if you think of it in like a, like a sports movie or something or like a heist movie. Assembling it's like, the team. Yeah, like we're assembling the team and then we are doing the thing that we set out to do. And there are obstacles in the way of this and we have to overcome those obstacles. Mm-hmm. However, because we're living in the realm of quantum mechanics, it's hard to put those obstacles into a cinematic language. Yeah. Um, and also, Frank, like they're also they're going to be so beyond the grasp of the exactly. audience that it's like they they almost have to zoom into more of the interpersonal yes. things because how is how is Chris Nolan going to make a compelling case of like all right this guy is like running a formula mm-hmm. which is like half of the work right so in, in terms of like that sort of literalist genre filmmaking. It's, it's weak, right? And this is what Nolan is best at, right? He's best at doing genre filmmaking. So in terms of that, I don't think it's a, a, a huge success. But in terms of the other thing that Nolan does, which is his movies are, are kind of, I, I want to say, like, symphonic in the sense of they move like a piece of music does, almost. Mm-hmm. Like, 
there are almost there are almost no moments in any Christopher Nolan movie we can I can even think of that he's ever made, except for maybe Memento, where two people, where the movie stops down for two people to have like a five minute conversation, where there's no. Uh, I- accessories going on where there, there's not something like being uh, there's no there's no interstitials yes there's no there's uh, like large back there's in music time and music like, exactly yeah. like yes christopher nolan movies are like flow like operas mm-hmm. like they and in that way they should be so in an opera uh at least like in in in, in the modern world like people i, I don't I understand Italian. I don't like understand sung Italian, but that's not, you don't have to. Yeah. You have to be following like the beats and emotion and yeah. the flow of it. And that's how you kind of get the meaning. He moves from set piece to set piece. And also because he's so interested in nonlinear storytelling, he arranges pieces of time in ways that are going to elicit like emotional responses. Yes. And, and like, he chooses when to give you information in a way that is, in a storytelling sense, interesting, mm-hmm. right? Kind of his only movies that don't do that are his Batman movies. But even they sort of do it. They're 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 mixed in. But if I think about like the the rest of his uh, of his library, yeah. like it is there is way more jumping about mm-hmm. and uh, in purposeful misdirection, and then and then putting you on the right path at the right. last moment, be like, aha, there you go. So this gets to what I think is kind of a, a, it's like a a rose and a thorn with the film Mm -hmm. is because I think handling it this way is really interesting and probably more interesting than it would be if we were just talking for three hours. Mm -hmm. In fact, I know it's way more interesting than it would be. However, I, because Nolan is such a literal person, he doesn't really work in the realm of the symbolic at all. Mm -hmm. Even in a movie he made about dreams. Yeah. He barely works in the realm of the symbolic. Yes. We, we are just getting those moments of time arranged. We're, but the story he wants to tell is of someone's inner life. Mm-hmm. And you see him grasping at it in yeah. moments. Like yes. the moment where he's in the kangaroo court scene and he's, he sees himself as naked. Yes. Like Killian Murphy is naked. Yeah. Or... Uh, his lover, uh, Florence Pugh, is... When she's being drowned? Well, when she's being drowned. Yeah. Uh, and there's like a hand drowning her. For or only a split second. For only a split second. Yeah. Or when she's writhing, like, as she's like having sex yeah, with yeah, him yeah. in the courtroom. He's yes. like... Um, or when after the atomic bomb has been dropped, he has mm-hmm. a vision of mm-hmm. like an explosion and like the skin coming off of yeah. people's faces. Yes. And it's like, there are brief glimpses. I wanted more of that Of stuff. a symbolic realm, exactly. But... Yeah. but if we think of all Nolan's other movies, he's almost never working in that mode. Yeah. He's happy to have unconventional narrative structure, mm-hmm. but he's uncomfortable with, or or just like he doesn't think to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't know what. To, to work in that realm of image that is not literal. Yeah. That yes. is symbolic. Yeah. And I think the movie would have been much better than it, it is. And I don't think it's a bad movie, but I think it would have been much better if he could have worked in that mode more. Yes. There were certain uh, because, because, moments where I was thinking to myself, like, oh, I wish, or I thought you were going to do this thing mm-hmm. with it and like go a little less literal, but then you didn't, it, it which is fine. It would have helped to do it because 
the story itself is about fucking math. Yeah. And therefore, you can't rely on just crackerjack plot beats mm-hmm. like he normally does. Like, he's yeah. a plotty guy. That was the knock on Inception, right? Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's all plot. Yeah. That's the knock on Tenet. It's all plot. Yeah. And I think movie, one, of the, one of the other issues with it he's is He's trying that not to be. He's, he's trying not to be, but where, whereas with, like, his other films, I think that he was more able to build up... As he's going through this all this plot and just really plotty stuff, you as the audience do have the sense of tension of like, how is it going to work out? Mm-hmm. With this, it was just like, oh, okay. Obstacle has been overcome. They all build right. the bomb. They build the bomb. And he's confident at all points that he can do it. Yeah, there's like maybe some questions of like, I don't know if we're going to have it in time yes. for this one. But also, part of the, part of the thing that kind of limits... This in comparison, if I think about Dunkirk, where Dunkirk is, is way more, I don't know, foofy about how it handles, like, like it is based on real people, but it jumps around a lot mm-hmm. and it kind of like lets the audience make its own connections. But like, this is an adaptation of, of a biography yeah. and, and, and an adaptation of a book covering like some historical events. Yeah. And so there is... Whereas I think like James Cameron was able to add when I think of like Titanic, also mm. based on historical events, where the outcome is predetermined in right. that way, he was able to add some more interest of like I don't know how this is going to come together. I don't know that Nolan was able to do that here. No, he wasn't because and it that's... was kind of like a it almost felt like the bomb and everything else was like a foregone conclusion. It's yeah. like well I know that the Trinity test is going to work. Like I already know that. Yeah. Like I like I, I I do feel like the tension in the scene of like of the characters, but like i mean i know it's gonna be fine so i so you have to give me something else so let's talk about one of the something else he gets okay it's time to address the allegations (laughs) can christopher nolan write women what are we doing here let's talk about florence Pugh and her role in the movie okay and we're not going to talk about Emily Blunt? We're going to talk about Florence Pugh first, then we're going to talk about Emily Blunt. Because, okay. because Florence Pugh is his first lover, Emily Blunt's his mm-hmm. second. Yeah. Gene we'll, Tatlock we'll take, uh, is Florence great. Pugh. Yeah. I'm so glad you know these things. I'm so glad some, someone did <laughs> that. That's like kind of the only one that I really remember because it's an awesome name. Great name. Gene Tatlock. She, he meets her at like a party. Commie party. Um, among, you know, of, of commie academics. And she's a communist. She's an unabashed communist. She's like, you, you, are you a communist? And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm a little, you know, noncommittal. And she's like, hmm. She's kind of, she's not like other girls. So he meets uh, uh, Florence Pugh at this party. And they start, they, we are fucking. Yeah. Uh, that's the, the, <laughs> the line in the, the, line in the, in the screenplay, screenplay yeah. written from his perspective. We, we are, are fucking. fucking. <laughs> and they fuck and we see Which Florence Pugh. Which I just boobs. have a funny image of like... Uh, it's funny for me to imagine Christopher Nolan writing that. We are yeah, fucking. We are, we are fucking. And also, so shagging. one of like the early reviews of this is like, it has a sex scene in, in a way that only Christopher Nolan could portray. And it's like, it's very tame. It's tame. I mean, like, I, I guess like, I don't know, like, I don't want to get caught up in the like, why is she nude? Why do we have to see her boobs stuff? Like, I don't know. Like, I guess I would, I, like, it does feel a little like, show me his dick. You know, okay, like if right. we're going to see her boobs, show me his I, I dick. I do want to lodge a complaint here as I heard about all the nudity and I was like, great, Killing Murphy's going to hang dog. Yeah, I wanted to see Show me his, his dick. <laughs> show me all the right. hog. Like, I just feel it's fair. Yeah. Um, but we didn't see his dick. We did see him. We did see his sort of naked skinny body, but yeah. we didn't but, see but his But I will dick. say that like the way that he also frames Florence Pugh, to me, 
I think that I would have been more put off if it had felt like more like he was like a wooga and like oogling and ogling, which is not how I felt. Like I, it felt more intimate rather yeah. than uh, like, I don't know, sexual. Yeah. Like I think the reason he did it, that there was so much nudity and they're like almost always naked together. Yes. So it's not like she's and just nude. And those two are only naked with each other as well. Yes. I think he wa- he was invested in showing us Oppenheimer, the like the spiritualist. Because like, mm-hmm. what do we get in this scene? We get she's looking at his books, yeah. which is the most erotic thing and anyone like, can do. And she's just like, Sanskrit. yeah, well, yeah. So well, first she's like, oh, you know, I see you have Jung, like you know analysis, and he's like, I had a bit of you know depression or whatever. Yeah. He doesn't say like depression because that's a what, like he was like, I had a spot of the whimsy. <laughs> Um, no, he doesn't have a British accent. I don't know why we keep doing that. Because <laughs> it's funny. But like, you know, and she's just like, oh, you're depressed or whatever. And he's like, yeah, whatever. I'm like, no, it's fine. Um, but she's like, mm, that makes me more attracted to you. Yeah. And um, but then she sees that, you know, it's been established that he learns languages really quickly. Mm-hmm. And he like had like knows Dutch, you know, just from like studying it for like eight weeks because like he's a genius. There's a, there's a scene where he goes to like, give a guest lecture at a, du- at a Dutch university and he goes in with like this guy who ends up wanting to be one of his close friends. Krumholtz. And, and Krumholtz. And he's like, all right, well, uh, like, like, let me know if like you want me to like catch you up on on any of it. Uh, and he's like, oh, well, I know. I just I just speak Dutch. I just speak Dutch. Yeah. And so but so Florence Pugh uh, sees that he has like a Sanskrit book and he's, yeah. she's like, do you know Sanskrit? And he's like, I've been trying, you know, kind of trying to learn. She, and then she like gets on top of him. And she's like, read it to me. And this yeah. is probably the most unintentionally funny part of the film <laughs> for me personally. He's like, uh, she's like riding him. I'm he's like, death. I am become death, destroyer of worlds. And it's like, okay, well, we know that we need to set up that line later. Yeah. But like, do we like, do we need to set it up like that? Like this? Exactly. Um, yeah. It's good. It, you do have to set up that he's like a Sanskrit nerd. Yeah. Because like then it, the, makes sense that he so says it's it not just like yeah so it's like it doesn't feel like oh like the lines being com- like coming from nowhere but her but, making him say it while fucking her yeah. uh is a little like oh my An God. erotic poetry reading yeah it's a little it's a little goofy it's but however it doesn't la- like it's not a very long scene here's what i'll say about the florence Pugh stuff they do a good job of making me feel like these two people are really getting something from this relationship that they are lacking in their lives. They're drawn to each other. And their relationship makes a lot of sense emotionally and intellectually. Um, so when he, but she's like BPD, you know, like she's, she's a little crazy. She's like, don't bring me flowers. Why are you doing this? Yeah. He's like, he's a nice guy and she's like a little twisted. Yeah. Um, you know, some of you can't relate. (laughs) Um, and, but eventually he's like, this isn't going to work cause Mm -hmm. like you're a little, you know, unhinged and I got my work. Yeah. But like, we can still see each other a little bit, but like I got to marry Emily Blunt. Yeah. Emily Blunt, who is, when they meet, she is also married. She'd been married before. And they kind of, their relationship is really interesting to me. Tell me more. So they have, like, a magnetic attraction. Mm -hmm. Uh, They meet at this party. And, you know, it it actually might be, like, at her husband's house in Pasadena. Mm. Um, and, and And they're kind of, like, flirting, whatever. He's like, oh, well, like, you know, you have a husband. She's like, well, I'm also, and he's saying, like, you know, we're thinking about going to New Mexico for this lab, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think, and she's like, well, I could come along with you. And he's like, well, I don't think that that's like a good idea because something might happen. She's like, 
it's going to happen anyway. Like it's yeah. not, it's not a factor whether we're alone together or whether we stay here, like it's going to happen regardless. I, I got to say like all like these scenes are some of the best written scenes. Yes. I think yeah. like Sanskrit writing aside, like the, his, his, the stuff he does with women, at least in this first act of the movie it, it does lend a very important dimension. It like shows that he has like an inner emotional work. And it's also, it's, it's Oppenheimer, like the man. Yeah. The, the man, man, not just the scientist. But yes. The man. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's fleshing him out because we're going to need this later yes. when the person of flesh and blood. Doubts. Yes. Um, so yeah, what I think what really takes us into the second act of the movie is Florence Pugh's suicide. Yes. Which is, you know, she, she, he's like, I can't see you anymore. Mm-hmm. And she commits suicide. Yeah. And, and he's like, oh, like, I saw her like once before then, like she was in like a really bad place. And so, and this is all revealed in the gray room interrogation hearing mm-hmm. when Emily Blunt, his, his wife is sitting behind him and he's like, okay, well, I mean, it's nothing that I haven't told you before. She's like, yeah, well now it's all official. Now it's all in government mm-hmm. record. She's like, like nah, my I'm humiliation. Unhumiliated. Yeah. Um, and she has got a drinking problem at this point, which is like, this is where it starts to slip a little bit for me, where it's oh, just you like, think so? she's so comically alcoholic and like every scene she's like slurring with like a, like a, a snifter of brandy. Yeah. She's like, why don't you just tell him off? And he's just like, Ugh. well, so we know that like her, her first husband died that like they, mm-hmm. it was like, so something like really quick, like they were not married very long and she gets married not out of love, but out of like. Uh, you know, I'm a woman in like the mid early 1900s, so I have to marry somebody Mm -hmm. then, you know, gets with Oppenheimer, has a baby and cannot cope. She has like horrible, like postpartum depression. Yeah. This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie is that he is so, uh, concerned with building the atomic bomb and she is like just so because you know she's also got depression and stuff like Oppenheimer's attracted to these women. And she is this screaming Um, baby. They, they, they can't handle this screaming baby. And so they go to their communist friends mm-hmm. and say, can you just take this baby off our hands for like yeah. six months And immediately he says, yes. He's like, no, yes. No questions asked. And and Oppenheimer's like, I'm a terrible person. He's just like, nope. You're doing, you just, you're doing your best. You're doing something important. Yeah. You need help. We're I'm here to help, help you. you. Yeah. And it's... It's a great scene. I, I I would that had I was like I want I wanted more. I want yeah. I wanted I want to dig more, more into like their that. relationship. Yeah, because uh, that's basically all you get. I think that it. character's name is uh, his last name is Chevalier. Yeah, um, and he's like a full on comic. Full on comic, which he, ends up being a problem. Like, he's willing. He like all but asks Oppenheimer to like hey. If you have some info you want me to pass along to the Russians, yeah, I will tell them. I'll tell them, or I, I know a way to. I get know a that. way to get that yes. information to yeah. them. And, and Oppenheimer's like, "Whoa, like, I, uh, no, we're not going to talk he's about like, All that." All right, okay. Well, but I'm then just later saying. he's dinged for not immediately reporting. Yeah, for that. not yeah having tattled. Um, and you know. But you can't tattle on Chevalier because he's taking care of your fucking kid. Yeah, you know? he's like doing you an immense personal favor. So we have a, like a cool little examination of that yeah. gray area there. And, it's, it's and also, also like there's an open question is there's like people within his sort of uh, team that feel that it would be good for the Russians to just have this information. I mean, openly. E- even Oppenheimer himself. Yeah. He's like, 
aren't they our allies he's like we're not in a war with them Mm -hmm. and like they're gonna they're gonna make something eventually so like why don't we combine what we know and like of course like the u.s government is like absolutely fucking not well and this is another one of the movie's indictments of oppenheimer is his utter naivete yes when it comes to the american imperial war government apparatus yes he believes i think like most Americans did and still do, that 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 what is at the heart of that apparatus is essentially that we're the good guys. Mm-hmm. And if I'm working on behalf of them, someone might make an honest mistake. Mm-hmm. But it's an honest mistake. Yes, and a, and, a, and a mistake. It was 100% yeah. unintentional for like whatever outcome it was. But what we find as the movie progresses is that from the very beginning... They wish that they didn't even have to deal with this fucking Oppenheimer guy. They wish they could just have the bomb. They wish that they could just extract from his brain what they needed. And if they had to fucking kill him to do it, they would. Yes. Um, He's a thorn in their side. He just is someone to be dealt with until the bomb is ready. And then we can just... Which is why they have, you know, Matt Damon and Dane DeHaan as his, like, handlers. Yeah, just, like, push him, push him, push him to get it done. And there's multiple times when, like, out of earshot of him, they're like, well, he has all these, like... Uh, you know, troublesome communist friends, and they were like, "Don't worry about it." Yeah. As soon as we get this bomb, he's, all he's these gone. people are fired. Yes. We're, we're breaking this little podunk city that we built for them down, yeah. and we're just moving on. Yeah, but we just we have to get across the finish line but of at, getting what we need. And and if they want to do little socialist uh, like minor labor actions in the meantime, that's fine. Yeah, like don't it's, like don't let it get out of hand. But like whatever. However, there are other people in the government who are like you know like because there's a there's one of my other favorite scenes in the movie where like Matt Damon is basically telling what we just said to Oppenheimer is just like hey man like just cool it with like just like step way more carefully around this communist stuff would yeah. you please and he's just like well they're my friends like it's not really about that like I don't see it that way and he's like motherfucker it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter how you see it yeah the, like this is how they see guess it guess what yeah there's this guy played by Casey Affleck he's yeah. a colonel he wants to fucking torture you yeah like his dad was like killed in like 1917 or whatever and like he's like killed if, communists if he himself. had his way he would yeah. take you to a black site and pull your teeth out yeah. until you gave him the names of everyone you know yes Who's and a, you're like, not being nearly cautious enough. Like, do you understand what this is? And yeah. the answer is no. He no. doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't understand because what this is. Because he's so concentrated on uh, what he sees as like a, a morally or an ethically neutral thing, which is just like science. So just learning, yes. just to see what you can do. I, I wish we could get all of this out of the way so I could focus on pure science. Yes. But of yeah. course, that's obviously not what you can ever do when yeah. you're building a fucking atomic bomb. Yes. So it's it's one of it's those are two of the great things about the movie is the way that they they depict the American government interest in building this and the way mm-hmm. they depict his naivete about what he's doing. Essentially, he's lying to himself. Yes. Um, now I want to touch on one thing with regards to that. Okay. There was there there's talk as there always is these days among internet leftists who who study culture as we do and mm-hmm. as we are. Yes. About whether. This piece of art is sufficiently leftist. Whether mm-hmm. Barbie is sufficiently leftist, or whether Oppenheimer is, and I, you know, I heard so I saw some tweet that said an, a leftist Oppenheimer movie would have taken the unequivocal position that dropping the atomic bomb on Japan was a war crime. Mm-hmm. It and, would have used the words "war crime" exactly. Yeah. And my contention is, yes, a, a leftist movie would have done that. 
-hmm. However, it would not have been a better film Mm -hmm. because everything that is good about this film is examining the ambiguity. Yeah, it's it's what's left in those spaces. Is what's what left, exactly. And that's... That's literally the raison d'etre. It's called Oppenheimer. It's about mm-hmm. his struggle, his uncertainty. Yeah. How can... It's not called How We Built the Atomic Bomb. Yeah, it's not, it's not called The War Crime We Did to Japan. Yeah. It's called Oppenheimer. Yeah. And just like representation is not... or yeah, Well, just like depiction is not endorsement, mm-hmm. om, uh, omission is not erasure. Yes. Yeah. Because it's telling something from a very particular point of view. It's art. Yeah. It's not a book it's about a why this was a war crime. Yeah. You should read a book about why this was a war crime. There are plenty out there. They make very convincing arguments. Yes. For that position. That is not what a movie should do. Or it's not what a good movie would do. And and frankly, that's not like... The reason that that's not part of the question of this movie is because that's not what Oppenheimer is thinking about. He's not thinking about this was a war crime to drop these bombs on Japan. He is thinking about what is the like the global consequence of having opened this door? Yes. But he's not thinking about the military side of it or the strategy or anything like that. Yeah. Like, to the extent he is, he's just like, well, we can't let the Nazis get it. His priority is it, it, we cannot let the Nazis have the bomb. Because that first. would be, yeah. that would just end and, the world. And part of that and that's true. is also, but his own personal relationship to that because he's Jewish. Yes, he, which they touch on briefly. The, the, it, it comes up a, a couple of times, but even then, like it's ma- he, it's it's framed in his personal investment. It's not like he's not a gentile. He's not a goy saying, not a "Oh, gentile. I care about this." He's regardless. also not a practicing Jew. No, not but, really. you know, but he's still. I mean, like, but he's Jewish Holocaust in the way that you happening. are. That yeah. you are Jewish, and he yeah. understands that the Holocaust is happening. Yes. more probably than even the average American. Did. Yes, and so he's like, I like the, the Nazis are doing that. We cannot let the Nazis win, mm-hmm. and so then it becomes another and part of the question. He Go wants ahead. to prove his superiority to the German scientists. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He he's wants getting to off on the idea it. that they're ahead. That he. Yeah. He's like, right, I'm going to beat them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to beat them. But like, as soon as the Nazi problem is resolved, he's like, all right, well. We can be done, right? Because like the Nazis aren't an issue anymore, so we don't need to really do this. And like, well, no. Well, he could have said that, but he doesn't because well, they do he, ask his opinion. Yes, they bring everyone into a room and they decide, well, are we going to drop this fucking bomb now that we have it on Japan? And he doesn't stand up and say, "Don't do this." He doesn't stand up to say do- about almost anything. Nothing. The, the furthest that you kind of get to, to to him to feeling like he thinks that is like it's purely through Killian Murphy's acting and like mm-hmm. the and like kind of like the way that you can see his brain turning a little bit and some of his the people on the team. Yeah, have like a like little Jack bit, Quaid's yeah, they, character. Yeah, like, they 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 all have a little uh, powwow. In, in front of the like, blackboard. Right, well, they're we like, we, should, we should encourage yeah. them not to drop this bomb, right? Yeah. And he won't even attend the meeting. He's like, oh, I don't know. I, uh. I don't really want to get involved in that part yeah. of it. Like, I'm just thinking about my science. And he sort of thinks that, like, we're going to talk about this for a while, but as soon as the bombs are ready, Matt Damon packs them into a couple trucks yep. and is it's just like, like thanks, buddy. Yep. And he's like, and he's just like, well, like, you know, are we going to talk again? And he's just like, yeah, I guess I'll keep you updated. Like, Oh, like, as I can, which yeah. means not at all. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's funny, that particular scene, I thought that Killian Murphy did an excellent job with this because Matt Damon had told him in a, in a previous scene about, like, once we got what we need, like, we're packing this stuff up. And it was like Oppenheimer thought that it's like, well, I'm the exception, though, yeah. because I'm I'm 
I'm Oppenheimer. I'm Oppenheimer. And so for him to be boxed out in that same way, there was like this almost like a shell shocked look on his yeah. face of like, uh, wh- what? You're you're serious? So uh, this that scene is sandwiched in between probably two of the most effective scenes in the movie. One is just the bomb test itself. Yeah, the Trinity test. Which is just like yeah. a, probably like a 15 minute sequence that's just like an excellent piece of filmmaking. Yeah. We're all very interested in this. Yes. Film. Yeah. Not much to say about it really. It's just like... I mean, it's 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 visually very impressive. I think that like you have a good sense of the space that things are happening mm-hmm. in. You do know what the stakes and consequences are. They like sprinkle in the stuff about... They have like the stuff with his wife. If he's like, if I call and say, you know bring the sheets in it means mm-hmm. that it was successful and if not then you know we there's something something's gone very very wrong so it's like you get that that personal dynamic yeah. in, in it and there is uh i mean I, in terms of using the imax format this, this is, is where the, it takes this is the main yes. scene that accomplishes that yes so then after that we uh the matt damon takes the bombs away and then we have they drop the bombs yep and then Successful. he goes and, you know, they, they're all like, well, they just dropped these bombs that we made. Yeah. Uh, it's like, we got to celebrate. Yeah. And right? the, the whole like, town of people who've been supporting. So they, they, they built up this small town in New Mexico just to keep everybody there to work on this stuff. So it's like all people who have been there for a long time now, like all working collaboratively on, on this effort. And they are ecstatic. Women are crying in joy mm-hmm. and, and excitement having accomplished the thing that they were trying to do. And, I mean, they, they essentially know the war is over. You know, yeah. I mean, this is it. Yeah. Um, and so he's tasked with like going in front of everyone and making a speech about, um, you know. We did it. We did it. And he does. And he like sort of is starting to have like a panic attack. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, expressed in really cool cinematic language, like the frame shakes and yeah. the light changes. And, and the way all they use stuff. like the sound of the people stomping on like the, the, the bleachers it's and all great. of that stuff. It's, it's and great. And Killian's performance is great. And you can see him saying the words and not meaning Yes, them. because he's, he's just, it's he, he has nothing what has to happened. say, but jingoistic things. Yes. He's just like, I bet those, you know, Japs yeah. are like scared of like, you know, it's good, good when we did this, you know, but like yeah. his heart's not really in it. It and doesn't come naturally to, the crowd to him. And like he is imagining the effects. Yeah. Of like just their skin peeling off or yeah. they're just like uh, sort of like glee at death he steps into like a hollowed out burnt up corpse yeah and and they and they look at newsreels of what has happened and they're just like jesus christ yeah and it's interesting like the the his fellow his fellow cohort of scientists who are working for him they're the people who have the reaction of oh my oh oh, fuck oh fuck this is horrible Mm -hmm. but like you can tell Oppenheimer he's starting to get there but he's not even a hundred percent quite there yet. It's He's started to sink yet. in. And I think one of the reasons, now we're getting into the third act. And so what happens for Oppenheimer is that like, yeah, he's not like really building a bomb anymore, but he's become kind of like an overnight celebrity. Yeah. And he's like advising on policy. Yeah. So he's like, great. So what I want to do now that I have a little bit of cachet with the American public is I want to encourage us all not like you know to make any more of these. Yeah, we're not we're not doing a hydrogen and, bomb. Yeah, we're not doing a hydrogen bomb. And there's like someone on his team, played by um, one of the Safdie brothers, mm-hmm. who Benny, uh, Benny Safdie, who uh, is like doing a funky Russian accent. He's like, I can build an H bomb, and and that's his his, his pet, pet project. project. And and Oppenheimer's like, yeah, you could, but, but like, like let's don't. just focus on this yeah. now. And actually, maybe don't do that because that sounds terrible. And he's just yeah. like, 
don't be stupid. Yeah. Like, this is getting made. And again, yeah. like, everyone's kind of telling Oppenheimer, like, it's motherfucker, don't be stupid. This yeah. is happening whether you want it to or not. Do you want it to, like, Do happen on our terms or, yeah. or theirs? Yeah. And yeah. he can't commit. Mm-hmm. So now maybe we can unpack a little bit of the RDJ angle of this. Yes, all right. And I'm going to need you to help me do it a little bit because this was the most muddy part of the film for me. Yeah, it definitely, yeah, it's muddy. So I think that the the parts that I want to layer in because RDJ, Louis Strauss, becomes the main character in the third act. Yeah, Um, which is not my favorite thing that happens. Because it, it becomes more of like a... Uh, parts of like the third, I just feel like almost like a procedural yeah. um, in the way they go certain things. So, so the reason that he's involved is he's like the head of the, of the AEC, which is like how they're kind of like uh, advising on atomic energy and bombs and all, all that sort of shit. So he gets Oppenheimer a job at this university. Um, and this is where like Strauss's issues start to crop up. So, Oppenheimer's he's like yeah like what yeah I know like all the stuff like whatever he's like oh yeah there's Einstein because well I can go introduce you he's like I I know him already so he goes out you see RDJ like watching the two of them talk and they have whatever interaction when Einstein walks away he like doesn't acknowledge RDJ at all and we come to learn that like he's taken that as like Oppenheimer talked shit about me Mm -hmm. to RDJ and he embarrassed me uh, at like a congressional hearing when he said like there was no issue with like exporting isotopes like and he's like undermining my authority in certain ways and so his beef becomes extremely personal Mm -hmm. and so he's the one that we come to find out this is hard to express in cinematic language. It's very I, I think RDJ that, has to explain this beef yes. multiple times to an aide. Yes. Who is just there. Yeah. Who was just there who was there as the audience stand in. Exactly. To be like, whoa, that's it's, kinda uh, fucked it's, up. What's his name? It's Engelbert Humperdinck. What's the <laughs> fucking name of this? Aiden uh, uh God damn it. Alden Ehrenreich. <laughs> Alden. Okay, I'll say it one more time. Alden Ehrenreich. Yeah, and Ehrenreich. Aaron Wright. And so okay. Louis Strauss is taught, he, he needs to be uh, confirmed to be in the cabinet yeah. of the Truman administration, I believe, or the Eisenhower administration. Yeah. And, um, and he's like, I fucking hate this Oppenheimer guy. Um, so I, I hope none and of so, my beef part, with him And part comes of the reason back. he's being questioned is because Oppenheimer has, uh, through a lot of his own, through Strauss's means, has fallen out of favor and like has, it's like a known communist sympathizer. And they're mm-hmm. like, so he got blacklisted. Yeah, like so, so he's like, did. so why did you give him this role at this university? And like, blah blah blah. And he's like, well, I didn't know about X Y Z at the time, and I and like you know, and like once I found out, like I really distanced myself. And I, I think that Nolan tries to like get tries to make this clear by interspersing it so much. But then unfortunately in the last hour, you just have like RDJ just explain it again. Yeah. And I wish to to someone who it doesn't make sense would even be hearing it. Yeah. My thought was kind of like, why are you like, why are you telling him that like you set up Oppenheimer? Yeah. He's essentially doing a mustache twirling villain monologue. Yes. In the middle of like, this just like has not been, the tone of the film. No, no. So after the Trinity test, it basically goes into, you know, Oppenheimer getting grilled by like this internal hearing board about the security clearance, which is connected to Levi Strauss because, uh, to Louis Strauss, because he's the one who, I know Levi Strauss, uh, he's, he's the one who like set up the whole thing, who like arranged the people who were going to be there, who, you know, gave them certain information, who like asked people to speak or not speak and all of that stuff because he's like, 
fuck you. You embarrass me in front of Congress. I'm taking away your security clearance. I'm I'm ending you. Mm-hmm. And it becomes very, very personal. Um, and that ends up being his downfall because uh, Remy Malik, uh, who worked for yeah. uh, Kenneth Branagh, uh, it was like, all right, well, um, I have like, I'll tell you why he's not fit to be in the cabinet. It's because he's petty and vindictive. Yeah. And here's and here's why. And then explains it again. Yeah. For the odds, like, okay, I've heard now this explanation of what happened twice. And then Alden Ehrenreich explains it back to him because it's like... In, like, simple terms. Yeah, because... Also because Nolan is doing this thing where he, like, wants this to, like, really hit in terms of, like, a narrative thing where it's just like, you did this, and then you did this, and he's like, yes, it was I who sabotaged Oppenheimer. And then then Alden Ehrenreich's character is like, you piece of shit. (laughs) You son of a Like, you motherfucker. And if, like, I was... I would just be like, well, like, guess my boss is an asshole like i don't he's like quitting on the spot or something like he's like or i'll see i'll see you through the end of this of this uh confirmation hearing but but like, then oh, i'm so leaving because oh, that's just so fucked just up so what you and so here's my problem with all of this is that like why do we need any of that like why can't we just focus on the kangaroo court yeah because that's really what's important whether fucking robert downey jr gets confirmed to the eisenhower administration is not that interesting Okay, so, so I think that he wanted... So they, they keep showing the moment with Oppenheimer and Einstein over... and, and we, we don't know what was said. Yeah, he really wants that the, moment to hit, And too. I think... I almost feel like he got distracted by wanting that, like, that reveal. But, yeah. like, not anchoring it in the thing that we're actually invested in, which is Oppenheimer. Well, because it's none of it's tied to really an action taken. It's yeah. like, so it's like, you can't really reveal that like, yes, it was I who poisoned the apple. Yes. You know, it was just like, no, it was I who in back channel yeah. smoke filled rooms yeah. talked shit about you enough that yeah. a panel of bureaucrats decided to, inter- and it's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, let's simplify, simplify, simplify. Yeah. There's a red scare going on and, peop- and people have a vested interest in running Oppenheimer out of a position of influence in making public policy Mm -hmm. because Oppenheimer is having mixed feelings about his morality in developing the atomic bomb and he Mm -hmm. wants to stop... He he basically wants to uh, cool down the Cold War. Yes. And And he's like, we need to stop That is not in the interest of anyone else because the military yeah. industrial complex is literally being birthed and so out the, of the, the ashes like of this, like, World War II. personal beef of RDJ is yes. like, it's an accessory to like exactly. the geopolitical it's, stuff. It's, it's a much simpler, cleaner thing to be like, look, a much more interesting story, as a matter of fact, I think a, a very clear thing, which is just that like, what happened after World War II is essentially the fulcrum of all, uh, that d- has determined your and I, you, Dr. Movies and Rachel's entire lives. Yeah. It is essentially the triumph of American capitalist hegemony over everything. Yeah. This is the story of the birth of that, essentially, yes. as exemplified by literally the power to destroy the world. Yeah. And the atomic bomb is actually a great metaphor for it. Yeah. Because. But then we get distracted by this stuff yes, at the end. We get distracted by this stuff. But like once America wrote, built the atomic bomb, it was game the, over. The death sentence of humanity has essentially been written. Yes. And in a way, once America won World War II and snuffed out the nascent socialism, essentially yeah. in the country, yeah, we don't know, but it's possible our death warrant was written 
in that sense as well. Yeah. And the movie does a great job at depicting that sort of like ur-fascist impulse in the yes. American it. Absolutely. But... It doesn't. It doesn't it fully develop. It that, doesn't I guess. fully develop it, and I think it doesn't because I don't think it's developed in Nolan. Uh, yeah, I mean, okay. So for I, when when Oppenheimer was being first being released, I think there were a lot of people who was like, "This is like a, this is a pro atomic bomb movie," which it is explicitly it's not. So no, it, it could is, not be more of an anti atomic bomb. Absolutely movie. not. And people were like, "Well, but I, mean, I I agree to a certain extent." Like Nolan is like kind of conservative. Like he has like some like conservative yes. inklings. Like there's a lot of like textual stuff in his other movies to support that. And so of course he's not going to come in hot and be like. Uh, this is a pro-communism movie. It, like, that's not... Because that's not really what he feels. No. But he is like, but something's wrong here. He, if 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 I were to venture a guess, and we don't even really... We have no way of knowing this because he's not American. But if no one were American, he'd probably be like a rhino. Yeah. You know, he'd probably be like a Republican in name only. Yeah. And he, he's the sort of person who believes in the power of the individual will and spirit to uh, brush aside the petty ideology of politics Mm -hmm. and like return it to a, uh, you know, like I guess great man theory of history. Yes. Which is why he made a movie about Oppenheimer Mm -hmm. because I think what Nolan sees in Oppenheimer is a man who was in position to to be be Mm -hmm. said great man and failed. Yeah, who undermined himself. And that's odious to Nolan. He yes. wants to indict that. Yeah. And he's more concerned with indicting Oppenheimer's character than he is... His weakness of his character. His weakness of character than he is in explicating a bunch of politics. Yeah. I mean, even in those kangaroo court scenes, like the stuff that seems to be hammering, being hammered home is Oppenheimer's passivity. Yes. And the fact that Which he's... Which is what Emily Blunt is And she's just do. like, don't just take it. Don't just take it. Like, stand up for yourself. Do something. Like, don't let that magician embarrass you. <laughs> don't let that magician embarrass you. And she is also brought to to this kangaroo court. And she kicks and ass. And she kicks ass. Sort of. Because she doesn't win. It's not as if her testimony changes anything materially for... In, for her personal but, standing. Exactly. But yeah. for her spirit. Yes. Because she stood up to the mean assholes on the kangaroo court, she at least has her dignity, which is more than can be said for Oppenheimer, though he may be a genius. Yes, yeah. He has no dignity is what it comes down to. I mean, like in the scene where um, they are discussing where to drop the bombs, he's also so passive in that. Mm -hmm. He's just kind of like, oh, well, oh, uh, guess we should pick a military target. But they're like, well, should we drop two? He's like, well, I guess, you know, they need to know we have more than one. I I don't know. the, The theme of him is like he he doesn't take a strong stance he can't stick up for he he doesn't really have any beliefs yeah is what it kind of boils down to and here's the thing i think that's a good premise for a film it's very interesting because i think we're in a period where we're seeing a lot of that yeah from a lot of people who should ostensibly know better Mm -hmm. or who are ostensibly in positions of influence yeah where such a thing should be done yes um, yes, yes. And yeah, I mean, we could talk about that for hours, but you know, I think it's what makes it a good movie of now. Yeah. It, it's it, a good 2023 film. It's also not something that I think is going, it, it's not, it's not going to age poorly, 
because I think Nolan is getting in, in terms of like the the interpersonal or, or like the 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 inner world exploration like mm-hmm. because I think that that is like that's a very human thing to struggle with and yes. I I think that I honestly think that he makes Oppenheimer at once very sympathetic but also as the viewer you're you're also infuriated yeah because you i mean i kind of felt like emily blunt in a lot of just like say something mm-hmm. do something yeah do do anything like have have a conviction and and stand up for it but he won't and in in, in that kangaroo court stuff i think it's actually noted someone in the in the movie says something about this of just like you're just like this is like you're punishing yourself like, and this is, like, you're just, like, laying down. Like, this is, like, a kind of, like, a way masochistic. To atone, yeah. yeah, for the fact that you feel guilt. That you failed to to articulate what you should have done. And one of the other great scenes of the movie is him with Gary Oldman's Harry Truman, which is oh, a, yeah. a, very apparently a, a real historical thing a real that happened, story, yeah. which is that he went to Truman and he was just like, I feel like I have blood I am, on my hands. I am racked with guilt. I have blood on my hands. I can't believe we've done this. Like, I have to live with this now. And Truman was disgusted because he's like, you're making this all about you. He's like, yeah, you, you fucking built drop it, but the bomb. I dropped it. I did. Twice. Yeah. I you, did it. You're, get that crybaby out of here. Yeah. I never want to, I never want to see him again. And that's what Truman was like. What a fucking asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Although, like, I mean, I personally am like, yeah, like, Oppenheimer, he does have blood on his hands. Yeah. Uh, but, like, Because there were other scientists, and the movie does a good job of showing this. They they present the narrative that, like, you know, well, there was just nothing we could have done. We had to drop an, We had to build an atomic bomb. We had to drop However, it on However... There's plenty of people involved in the process all leading up to it. Crumholtz. Yeah. That are like, like, um, actually, no, um, I think we just shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And even Crumholtz himself, he's like, he's like, I cannot be involved. Like, this is wrong. Yeah. Like, I can't. And like, yeah, he shows that like, there are people, other scientists, people in the community that are like, this is wrong. We can't do this. Or like, we need to be part of the conversation as to how these are used because we are the only ones who like really understand like the magnitude in that way and like all this other stuff. And so it's like, it doesn't give Oppenheimer a pass because a, a pass would be oh everybody was just kind of like well it is what it is yeah but like there it 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 shows clear opportunities where he could have he could have he made a difference he could and, have changed and even though it probably wouldn't have made a difference at any point it would have just been emily blunt mm-hmm. you know he would have still been redeemed yeah. in his failure yeah yes um and that's pretty much the movie. That's pretty. La- it- last last scene is just him telling Albert Einstein, "I think we may have destroyed the world." And he's like, "Yeah." And Einstein's like, "Ugh." Well, it sounds like it. That's rough. Bummer. Well, I'm dying in a sec, so <laughs> so gotta gotta go. Good luck to all that. Uh, unfortunately, before that, this is where we uh, another issue with like the 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 Robert Downey Jr. plot of it all, and like Nolan trying to do like his like clever. Okay, all right, this. This reveal, this moment towards the end really gave me uh, End of the Dark Knight Rises where it's revealed that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character was named Robin the whole time. Yeah. Where it's like, all right, well, like, it's like, all right, I didn't get the job, did it? It's like, no, like, well, like, there were a couple of holdouts. One of them, a, a young senator, his uh, last name of Kennedy. And it's yeah. like, ah, boo! <laughs> boo! Because like, it's almost like you can hear, like, the superhero music yeah. in the background. Like, dun, 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 Not dun, even dun, almost. Dun, dun. Like, it's <laughs> almost explicitly like, you can. Yeah, it's, it's like it's a reverse I am Iron Man, which is yeah. funny coming with with uh, RDJ there. But it's like he can't uh, he can't get away from something. It's this thing he can't get away from literalism. Yes, he yeah, he can't get away from it. 
Um, Although I feel like there, there are people in the audience that were like, weaknesses. oh, yeah, I mean, it works for some people. Yeah. But, um, for the rubes. For the rubes. We're smarter than them. We're better than them. But I mean, I don't know. I, I think that coming out of this movie, I was way more positive on it than than you were. And I think that you've you've kind of gone back and forth in the last week I or have. so. It's a flawed movie, but it's a good movie. It, it's like, yeah, it, it's one of those movies where like. the. <laughs> It's like, it's like the fucking Emily Blunt scene. It's like, do I think this is flawed? Yes. Did I think you swung as hard as you fucking could at this? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I... I, I, I Almost in, like my in goodwill. Your failure, in your failure to do certain things, I just respect that I could see you trying. Yeah, and it, it's like you've revealed you more of yourself. You tried to be less literal. Yeah, yes. exactly. Like the, just the fact that you tried to make a movie about the father of the atomic bomb that was three hours long and cost $200 million yeah. to make... That's what you used your artistic capital to do. Great, cool, Nolan. Applause. And it's like and I think I we both said coming out of it, it's like this was you could see Nolan challenging himself yes. and like really stretching himself and like trying to do something that he hadn't done before and winning because and, this and, movie and I just made a bunch of money. Yeah, made a shit ton of money. I mean, like I think that regardless of some people have really don't like Tenet, but like Nolan's a hit maker. Yeah. He makes stuff that even if you're like, I don't like this very much, like I think that you end up thinking about it in yeah. one way or another. Does he write women well? No. Is he too plotty? Yes. Is he a little over reliant on timeline uh splicing? Sure. Uh is he the most relevant and original contemporary film genre filmmaker we have? Working at the biggest scale? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry if you're mad about it, but the answer is is yes. Like, no, does that make me an Nolan apologist? Sure. Fuck yeah. off. Yeah, why not? I don't care. Sure. Fuck my dick. Yeah. All right. So I want to know. I, I I made my list already, but um, we are Nolan. We are Nolan fans. Exactly. So I made a list uh, of my my ranking. Um. So I'm gonna share the ranking, Great. and then you can you know move stuff around. Great. Per your own taste. Yeah, I'll, All right. I'll edit it. Okay. I'm gonna go from. Uh, from last to first. Great, All right. And last place is following because I haven't seen it. <laughs> so there's that. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to get flamed for some of these opinions. Good. All right. Okay. I'm just going to read them. I'm not going to explain them all um, or any of them unless you ask me questions. All right. So following Memento, Insomnia. Oh. Shut up. <laughs> Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet, Dark Knight Rises, Oppenheimer, Dark Knight, Batman Begins, The Prestige. Hmm. That's interesting. And okay, so okay. I, I want to... My, so my disclaimer is also like, this is also to my personal taste. Uh-huh. I'm not necessarily... Well, I'm not saying that The Dark Knight Rises is better than Interstellar. I'm saying that I like it more. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I'd move Memento higher. I would move Dark Knight Rises lower. Yeah. I I actually like I need to rewatch Interstellar because I sort of have a feeling that I'd like it more the second time, mm-hmm. but I don't. I've know. also only seen it once. Uh, Tenant, I would move down just for John David Washington. Uh, fair, um, fair. I I I think I would. Uh, yeah, you have Batman Begins over Dark Knight Rises. That's ridiculous. That's my personal. If I taste. can just redo the the top half, yeah, I would go. Um, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer's your number one? No, 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 no. Oh. Sorry. So this is like, the, my, this is my top three, essentially. Okay, okay, My okay, top okay. three is that Oppenheimer is now my third favorite, Nolan. Then The Dark Knight. And then, oh, wait, where did you have Inception? 
Oh, did I forget Inception on here? I guess I did. Um, okay. I would put Inception... I would put Inception over The Dark Knight. I would too. So Inception's my second favorite. And then... Here's the thing. The Prestige is basically a perfect movie. <laughs> it's basically it's, perfect! It, it's in terms of like... Like every... like So we can... I can find flaws in just about every single one of those other movies. Yeah. There are really no flaws in The Prestige. Like it's doing exactly what it wants to do and it's doing it extremely well. Is it silly? Yeah. Of course. Is it... Does it fucking slap? Yeah. A hundred percent. It whips. Yeah. It's so good. The Prestige is insanely good it's so good if you haven't seen it or if you haven't seen it recently go after it again because honestly like every time i watch it i find something new to enjoy in it and i also just enjoy how he like to me this is that's like the peak of nolan's ability to assemble things and to put them in an interesting order and and the way that he arranges stuff and with subject matter that, like, you're not too worried about it being mishandled. You no, know? no, like, oh my God. There's no gender stuff. Yeah. There's no race stuff. There's no political yeah. stuff. Like, there's nothing where it's like, oh, you need to kind of tread lightly. It's, it's just like, a story about a magician yeah. who wants to be the best. And so I've also, I, I've read the book, The the Prestige, yeah. which is, um, I'm going to say this, this word wrong because I can never remember how to pronounce it, an epistolary Epistolary, epistolary novel. So it's it's all. I mean, it's all in journal entries Mm -hmm. and 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 letters and the way that he's adapted. I believe it's the the source of uh, Drusilla McAvoy. Yeah, dreadful woman. I love her. I must have her. Like dreadful woman. I was wrong. I shall die. I shall (laughs) shall die by my own hand tonight. Yes. Yeah. That is too hasty by far. Which is also funny to see people like I can't believe someone really wrote this. Like no, it's no. That's 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 the novel. Um, but he. I'm just like, all right, amazing adaptation. Like he doesn't, it's, it's almost, it's an improvement over the novel. If only because he milks amazing performances out of people. Also this movie has David Bowie in it. It has David Bowie in it. Is it Hugh Jackman's best film? maybe oh maybe it really might be it's uh, yeah like the the, the range rocks. that he gets at i mean like i mean i'm like a christian bale simp so like he can do no wrong for me anyway but he's oh, not like I, I i've been thinking to myself recently like man i want to watch the prestige yeah, again prestige so good uh i'm so i mean i think that bo- both of our rankings in the end show that like oppenheimer ranks in the top half for yes, us at the very 100 top 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 third yeah top fourth yeah no it's it's it it's it's really good. It's flawed. Uh, it is not pro atomic bomb. It yep. is. It's not apologetics for having dropped. It's not it. erasing Japanese people. No, I mean, it okay, been so stupid to have. I that mean, in if this anything, movie, it would have been exploitative to be like, yes. all right, now I'm going to show you the horrible carnage, and yeah. like, I'm going to show you Japanese corpses. Like, do you want to see that? In th- are you sure? It. We know it. We go watch a Japanese movie about it. They're- and also because we go back to this again, it's about Oppenheimer. Yeah. I don't think that. I don't think that Oppenheimer would have cared on that level, which is why when he's giving the speech, he's not imagining what's happening in Japan. He's imagining it happening to the people in front of him that he knows. Yeah. Like that's what, that's what it zoomed into. It's like, it's, it's, it's about Oppenheimer. It's not about the bomb. It's not about the politics. It's about him and his role to play in all of yeah. that. Think about your role. Think about your role and what your choices. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think that's fan. I mean, so I, I vastly preferred Oppenheimer to Barbie. Same, same. It was a hesitant same, but 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 you got it out all the same. Um, 
but I mean, it, it, it's been cool nonetheless to like see people, normies, the general yeah. public. That's what you want out of a movie like this. You want to make something that is fairly uh, complex, uh, enjoyable to a wide audience. That's what a movie is about. You yeah. have to assess this stuff based on the medium. If you're looking for a it to do something that a book does, you should be reading a book Just instead. Just read a book. Yeah. It's mass media. Learn what mass media is, you motherfuckers. Think about it for one fucking second. Wow, you're very musical today. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should do a, maybe we should do a musical review at some Ooh, point. I would love guy. to do a musical. I would do Moulin Rouge because oh, I love, love that yeah. shit. Uh, although we, I mean, I, I could talk about Baz for ages. Um, yeah, but yeah. I've, you, oh, you know what? We should. What, what I'd like to do the Greatest Showman. Oh my god, the Greatest Showman's so bad. <laughs> I would like to do the Greatest Showman though. Okay, we should do the Greatest Showman. I actually, yes, we should do. That. <laughs> It's. I watched that movie and I was like, "Oh my god!" But you know what other movie I've been really meaning to rewatch? A Star Is Born. I have never seen any of them. The, yeah, I've only seen the Lady Gaga yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Here's my zag on that movie. Yeah, zag, zag away. That, I actually think it's like a masterpiece. Wow. It's it's flawed. It's for think, sure flawed. I think people but I, at, at when it first came out were like, "This is amazing," and then it took like a harsh got, like, people backlash. Were, people were like, "This is silly," and I think yes. But it's melodrama. Also, and as a melodrama, it's very good. Something being silly doesn't mean that it's yes. not a masterpiece. Yes. It can't be. Yeah, no. I the think, prestige is silly, and the yeah. prestige is amazing. I think A Star Is Born is maybe low key like a masterpiece. Okay. So, all right, Bradley Cooper. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Bradley Cooper believer. Yeah. Rocket Raccoon. Anyways, we're way off topic. Way off topic. Uh, uh, Oppenheimer. It, wonderful to see it in seventy uh, millimeter IMAX. Don't know that it totally needed it. I it did make me I'd rather have it than not I'd rather have it than not it did make me wish that I had seen uh Tenet Interstellar in in that format oh I, I did see amazing. Interstellar in IMAX oh you fucking liar it, it was, no it was fine it's just that apparently uh Christopher Nolan Chris Nolan came in and mixed the sound for this himself and guess what he did a shit job okay couldn't hear fucking shit all right, anyone my, was saying my retort to stuff like that is yes but that's how he wants it <laughs> He's he's a he can be wrong, but like it's not. He didn't make a mistake. It was on purpose. Well, I I can't hear what people are saying (laughs) over the roar of the fucking score and rocketry. But whatever, whatever. This has been movies movies podcast. Movies podcast. Even Jillian. The name of this shit. Uh, Thank you for listening, and you'll hear from us next time. Summer slop fest. Summer slop fest. Summer summer slop slam. Where do you expect us to go with a long sprawl? Where do you expect us to go with a long